The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Uh, more than apparently 60,000 of you so far have downloaded Alberta's voluntary smartphone app to help with COVID-19 contact tracing. It's called AB Trace Together. It was announced on Friday by Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Officials say that this is the first contact tracing app to launch in North America, and the government and AHS worked with Deloitte to develop it. The Alberta app collects apparently less information than any other similar product being used by other jurisdictions like, like Singapore, South Korea, and Australia to fight COVID-19. There have been concerns raised about privacy, and we will tackle that tomorrow. But on the science front, contact tracing is extremely important. With more, we're joined by our friend and microbiologist Jason Tetro, author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files, host of the super awesome science show. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Hey, doing pretty good. <laughs> nice to hear your voice. <laughs> um, how are you holding up through everything? Actually, it's not been all that bad. Uh, things seem to be improving. Uh, we, we definitely have been beating the curve as it were and uh, i'm really impressed when i go out people for the most part are you know obeying the physical distancing and even when i go out for my own run everyone's given me lots of space so either you know we're obeying social distancing or i really stink <laughs> well let's get to that a little bit later on first off give us an idea can you explain why, why contact tracing is so important yeah so when we have uh, anybody who shows up with an infection um uh, with something like a COVID-19 or the flu or, or norovirus, uh, the likelihood is, is that they got it from somebody else. And we have to determine whether it was through direct contact or if it may have come through indirect contact through like a surface or something along those lines. So what we end up doing is we have a nice discussion with an individual about all the people that they may have come into contact with, as well as any kind of environments they may have been in where there could be potentially high-risk surfaces. And then we start working backwards. Now, with surfaces, it's kind of hard because they get disinfected. But with people, well, we can then go and talk to those people. And so what happens is if you were to visualize it, you're literally creating a ring of information around that one individual and then as you go out further and further and further you eventually get to a point where you see a, a, a trend or a line and that takes you back and hopefully far enough to an origin in other words where the index was uh, could be, could have been the cruise ship uh, could have been china uh, could have been italy so when we do that then it gives us an understanding of where this came from and how it got to that person and that's incredibly important for us to understand how um, the dynamics of this particular disease, but also how we can improve our methods to be able to stop it, uh, especially considering, you know, we want to start getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are your thoughts so far on this app? What you've seen of it so far, what you've heard of it? Uh, well, it seems to be running on blockchain, which is amazing because that's the most secure type of transaction that we currently have. So if we literally are creating um, sort of blockchain moments, not only does that allow us to be able to securely transfer information from one person to another, which is great, but what it also does is it creates a 
single direction analysis. So we literally have that, like I was talking about, you're working backwards. You don't have to work backwards. All you have to do is look at what the, uh, essentially the block transaction number happens to be, and it will allow you to go back in time to be able to identify. So in that context, it's a really brilliant idea. So, you know, it, it's funny. We always talk about how science and economics don't seem to go hand in hand. Well, this is one of those few times where the two actually seem to be working together nicely. <laughs> how is this one, if you compare this one and what you've seen uh, from it so far to ones that are being used elsewhere, mm-hmm. um how different is it? Oh, it's a huge difference. Uh, I have a friend in South Korea in Daegu, which was the hotspot. And uh, it was funny because she was sending me all these text messages whenever she would get a text message essentially saying that she came into the path of someone who had uh, the virus. And she would be getting like 17 or 20 of them a day. <laughs> it's just oh, incredible. So the fact is that when you take away all of the restrictions on data, then what happens is you create not just um, a network of single chains like we're seeing with uh, AB traced together, but you're creating a network. And every time you bump into that network, like have you ever seen those movies where someone is trying to get to the safe and there's like lasers everywhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yep. basically what it was. So that was South Korea. Um, and when you start talking about Singapore, well, it was a little bit like that, but less so because it only defined a contact as if you were within six feet of an individual for 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, and there's some other places that are 15 minutes. Well, we don't have to deal with how long it is. It only has to do with how far away you may have come into contact with someone uh, because literally you can measure Bluetooth strength. And so if you come within two feet of somebody, your Bluetooth strength is going to go, oh, look, we just created a transaction. And when that transaction is made, if that person or you happens to be positive, then the other phone's going to go beep, 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 and away you yeah. go. So, I mean, the benefits of it in Singapore, South Korea, Australia, that sort of thing, has has it worked well for them? I mean, once they figure, you know, as you said, there's a difference between getting, a, you know, 20 notifications a day as, you know, your friend in South Korea to maybe you possibly get one here in Alberta in six months. Yeah. But um, I, I'm just, I'm wondering how... Well, the benefits in, in the long run for those other jurisdictions, how that's unfolded? It, it's really psychological. So uh, my friend in South Korea, uh, after I sent her the Mission Impossible theme, um, what she started <laughs> realizing was that she needed to use PPE, masks, whatever it was, on a more regular basis. Because it was essentially in an environment where she was always around the virus or people who had the virus. So it was really helping her psychologically to adhere to, uh, you know, not just only the physical distancing, but also the protective equipment. And that's really important because we know that if you have that barrier protection, you don't essentially get it. If you're using the hand sanitizer, you're not going to get it. So that's good. Um, the, the other thing that you have to realize, though, is when you start to see sort of that decline, so your, your phone's not you know, going off all the time, then you know that the situation is getting better and you can start to breathe a little easier. So there's sort of that psychological component to it. In Alberta, we have more of a human rights perspective. We want our rights to be protected, which is why this blockchain is working. So we may not have the same kind of, um, you know, relief that they would have in these other countries. But by the same time, 
we know that this is giving us an opportunity to get a feel for where the virus happens to be. I mean, if you, I've talked to a number of people over the last uh, few days, and everyone keeps asking me a very simple question. Is the virus even in Edmonton? Mm. Well, I can't answer that one way or the other. (laughs) So this app would give us a much better understanding of that. But how many do you think, how many people do you think we'd have to have download it for it to work well and to be a real reflection of what's going on out there? I think that's really where you start having to look at having a large population. Um, (laughs) I'm going to use an analogy, and I know there are people going to hate me for this, but (laughs) herd immunity works because a lot of people have either been infected or people have become immune, right? Well, herd tracing is going to work when we have a high percentage, 40 to 70% of the people having this app. Okay. And that's essentially how it's going to work. And so they really, like AHS, the government, really needs to somehow find a way to um, increase the, the, the interest in it, uh, I've already told you it's like a blockchain, it's the most secure thing, but they're going to need some kind of advertising. And at least here in Edmonton, I would just simply say, you know, why don't you be part of the community? Don't be a turtle like Tchuk. Just get out there, get the app, and show yourself as being a member of our Edmonton community. Let's beat this virus. And Jason Tetro, of course, he's the germ guy, uh, host of the Super Awesome Science Show, friend of this show. Jason, I, I need to take a break. Do you have a few minutes to stick around uh, a little bit longer? I've got some more questions for you on the other side. Absolutely. Happy to. All right. Okay. Thank you. Jason Tetro joining us this afternoon. If you have a question for Jason, you can uh, text me at 780-496-0063. Just want to get his uh, his thoughts as well on the relaunch strategy, where we are, and and his thoughts on some of these numbers that we we are seeing and the differences uh, across the province. Jason Tetro joining us this afternoon. We are talking about the, um, the 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 contact tracing app that was launched on on Friday. It's called uh, AB Trace Together. Uh, you heard all the details right here on 6:30. Chad, some of you texting in about um, some of the, the some of the issues with the apps. Um, Michael had said that the app does not run in the background on Apple iPhones because the app doesn't meet their privacy regulations. Now he's trying to explain to me what that means, but I know that there have been some challenges as well for some folks um, trying to get it to run and that I was told that you had to have an iOS system of um, I think of 11 uh, it had to be at least at uh, at 11 so yeah they'll, they'll figure out the bugs I'm sure Dr. Hinshaw will be asked a few more questions about that coming up here in about uh, 20 minutes time Jason Tetro is still with us this afternoon we always appreciate his time and, and his uh, no nonsense way of explaining some of this stuff to us so Jason thanks for sticking around I'm curious to know what you think right now of the relaunch strategy that has been announced by the province of Alberta. Well, I mean, if we're going to have a full province-wide movement, then we're going about it the right way. Um, Eventually, what's probably going to have to happen is we're going to start looking at pockets where we have places that have higher numbers than others. And and quite honestly, and and I know people are going to get upset, oh, Jason, you're comparing it to the flu. I'm not. But remember when Calgary was the place where the flu was happening all the time last Mm -hmm. year? And yet everybody everybody else in, in Alberta had no flu. Well, we may end up with that kind of same situation when it comes to COVID-19. But that being said, this is the first time. So I like the idea of having the whole province working together as one. 
And then when we get comfortable with not only what we've gone through, the isolation, the lockdown, but also the slow but sure comeback, then we can start talking about how we're going to be able to face this in the future when we start having future spikes. There are, um, I saw on social media today, some people saying, you know, they drove by the Canadian Tire or the Home Depot or whatever it was, and it was absolutely packed on the weekend. Mm -hmm. It seems like, um, you know, people got a little bit of a breathing, a little bit of breathing space after the news conference on Friday. I'm, I'm wondering, though, if we should still be hunkering down a little bit more than maybe what some are. I think right now, one of the big problems that we have is what I brought up in the previous segment, which is, is the virus even in Edmonton? Yeah. And the fact is, is that we have a few cases here and there, but how many of those cases are, you know, circulating? How many of them are community? And that's why the tracing what we talked about is so good, because then we can know where these people got the virus from in the first place. Um, but are people taking a little bit too much leniency? Probably. But is that to be expected? Absolutely. What I think is going to be interesting is... If Edmonton starts to see a massive run-up on cases over the next two weeks, well, then we know that, well, we probably were being a little bit too um, open about what we're doing. Um, would I prefer it if people still, you know, maintain the isolation and the lockdown until at least the 14th? Yes. But, again, people can only stand so much before they realize I need to go and do this for myself. So um, I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but by the same respect, I would hope that you still give it another few days, another 10 days or so. The numbers that were released yesterday from Alberta Health Services said there were 504 cases in the Edmonton zone. There were 3,842 cases in the Calgary zone. We know that um, a large number of them, about 1,000 of them, have to do with the Cargill meatpacking plant mm-hmm. down in, uh, in high level. But it is, it is dramatic to see how the numbers vary across the province. Absolutely. Um, and as I said before, with the flu, um, when you have certain communities that are known to be hubs, Um, they're going to have a greater amount of spread. And this is what we seem to be having right now. And Calgary seems to be a hotspot. Again, with, with, with what's happening in, um, uh, in, in plants and stuff, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, but the other thing is, you know, if you didn't have a high volume of viral cases in the first place, and that's basically how Edmonton has been, um, then you wouldn't expect it to start to explode, especially if people are doing what they're supposed to do. And, you know, I've been saying this all over Canada, where we have seen very small amounts, such as Edmonton, you know, everybody is doing their thing properly. Everybody is doing their job. And so even though the virus has been circulating over the past, it never got a chance to get that grip as it did in a place like Calgary. So I think even though the numbers are still, you know, 500, we're not seeing very many new ones per day. Heck, I don't even remember hearing of a new one last time I heard of, of, uh, of an update. Uh, it just means that you're doing a great job, and soon enough you're going to be rewarded by being able to go out and do the things you want and love to yeah. do. Just give it that little bit longer, please. Yeah, there was 96 new cases uh, yesterday in the province, but that was down. I mean, if you look what a week ago, we were getting numbers up around 300 uh, new ones a day. Has this played out the way you thought it would around the world? 
when you've when you've been watching what has happened what do you think uh yeah uh, unfortunately um I, this is not new for me uh and and so what essentially has happened is that uh much like we had with cholera um and and measles before the vaccine um we had something that we've never been introduced to and it started to spread like wildfire um, once that happens, you're going to have a number of cases who unfortunately uh, get sick. You're going to have severity of, of cases in some, and a small percentage of that population is going to pass away because they just simply don't have the immunity. And then after that humongous spike, as we saw, um, what will happen is that it will start to level off, and then we'll have small localized spikes, outbreaks, if you will. Um, the best option for us really is to have that vaccine um, because yeah. that's how we control measles that's how we got rid of smallpox that type of thing but over time i think what's going to happen is we're going to become more comfortable with the idea that this virus is circulating we're going to have a better immunity against it over time whether it be through vaccination or just exposure and eventually uh, as i said before you know we're going to just simply say it's cold flu covid norovirus measles season yeah um, you know, you talk about maybe, you know, we, we, we flatten that curve. We will continue to live with this. We will have small pockets of outbreak. There's been a lot of talk and we keep hearing about possible second waves. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, what do you think that might look like? Or is that a, is that a real possibility? I think right now we are know enough that we can prevent these massive second waves from happening. Now, the question is whether the rest of society is going to be willing to prevent these massive uh, spikes from happening. And I think that's the real iffy in this particular case. Um, If we have to sort of lock down for two weeks while the virus uh, comes into our environment, will will we be willing to do that? We don't know. Uh, it's, it's it, you know, everybody did it now, and that's great. And we've had such a great time sort of learning how, what it's like to live at home and do everything virtually and Zoom backgrounds and everything. But also people want to get back to their regular lives, and they may not want to go backwards. Uh, before I let you go, I mean, there's continued speculation where this virus originated, <laughs> oh, uh, whether it was yeah, really yeah. A, a wet market in, uh-huh. in, in China or whether it was manufactured yes you want to weigh in sure um i've been asked to create pandemic viruses in theory not actually in the lab (laughs) just so everyone knows the last time i said that it was like i was escorted out of the conference i'm like what do i do but i will tell you one thing the one that the virus that's currently circulating the one that we have all the sequences for um Nobody in their right mind would have ever made this particular virus. It's too weak. And that's the big problem, is that it has quite a number of things that are bad, but it doesn't have enough. And if I was going to make a bioweapon, this is not how it would look. And no, you can't ask me how it would look, because I'm not allowed to tell you. Okay. All right. I'm happy to know that, I think. So many more questions coming in here, but we're out of time. We have to make way for Dr. Uh, Hinshaw. Jason, thank you for joining me this afternoon, and I can't wait till we um, get to sit across from each other in the studio and have a, have a face-to-face chat. I miss those socks so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking Take about care. the microphone socks, people. <laughs> What, my purple and uh, black polka dot ones today? Exactly. Uh, thanks, Jace. Uh, we'll talk pleasure. to you soon. Bye Appreciate it. Okay. Jason Tetra joining us this afternoon.